Good afternoon, everyone. In every aspect of life, knowledge is essential to success. Think what the world would be like without any knowledge whatsoever. Actually, that's impossible because the theory of evolution notwithstanding, there could be no world without knowledge. But take metallurgy, for example. If there were no knowledge of metallurgy, many of the things that you take for granted would be impossible. Without the knowledge of metallurgy, we would be limited basically to wood and stone for tools. There could be no cars, no airplanes, no tractors, Little industry of any kind would be possible. Think how different the world would be without the knowledge of electricity, without the knowledge of chemistry, without the knowledge of navigation, without math, without language, without music. It's a source of amazement to me how many people scorn knowledge, how many young and old alike think that in education is unimportant and a waste of time. Over the course of my life, off and on, I've taught school at the junior high, the high school, and college levels. I remember a student in a class I taught making a remark to the effect, quote, I don't have, have to learn this stuff. I'm going to be a garbage man when I get older. That was his ambition and plan. At least he had a plan. Many who think of themselves as religious tend to scoff at education and regard knowledge with suspicion. As I was pursuing a postgraduate degree in history, one person in a church in which I ministered asked me, why do you want to go to college and learn all that dead knowledge? So we might ask the question, is it godly to be ignorant? Is true religion the enemy of genuine scientific inquiry and true knowledge? Today I want to give you an overview of man's experience with knowledge and ignorance. And I want you to see clearly that the source of true knowledge is God. That God is the source of true knowledge. God is the giver of knowledge. Despite many who value their ignorance... From an overall standpoint, we live in an age that prides itself on knowledge. Modern man has applied to his society during the past century or two such terms as the age of science, the age of technology, uh, the beginning uh, centuries of what historians call the scientific revolution is referred to as the age of reason. Journalists have written about the knowledge explosion. Recently, the term information age has been coined to refer to our era of computers, huge databases, and the constant flow of electronically transmitted information from one place to the other. Yet, ironically, despite our vaunted knowledge and the massive accumulation of information, our world could today aptly and very accurately be termed an age of ignorance rather than an age of knowledge. In fact, the Bible actually does refer to our age in terms that are far from complementary 
as far as our store or use of knowledge is concerned. In prophesying of this age, for example, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 59 and verse 9 of the people of Israel, and this is a prophecy that applies for us today, Judgment is far from us, neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noondays in the night. And also the prophet Hosea wrote prophetically of this very age. Quote, in Hosea 4 and verse 6, Hosea 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Why does the Bible characterize our age not as an age of knowledge, but an age of ignorance? And if this is true, who is responsible? I want to show you today that we do indeed live in an age of gross ignorance and blindness and that there is a personage who is not human, yet he is behind man's ignorance. In our university education system, religion is often depicted as the enemy of science and knowledge. Why would religion be thought of as an enemy of science and knowledge? Well, We'll get to some of the reasons later on. But the truth is that the true God, our God, is not an enemy of knowledge, but God is the, the, the revelator of knowledge and truth. True religion has nothing to fear from true knowledge. But in our world, both religion and knowledge have been twisted and perverted to produce darkness and ignorance of the truth. When God commissioned Moses to make the tabernacle, the altar and all the associated furnishings, he gave instructions to Moses concerning these things. And he said to Moses, he said, quote, and this is from Exodus 31, beginning with verse 2. Exodus 31 and verse 2, he said, To Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge. Notice God said that he had filled this man who was to be evidently the leader in the constructing of the tabernacle and and its furnishings. He said, I've filled him with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels, for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, 
the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table with its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and the base, the garments of the ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you they shall do. So notice that God was the author of these gifts of wisdom and knowledge and and the ability and skills to do the work of building the tabernacle and these objects that were associated with it. Did you realize that in the Garden of Eden, God offered to man complete and comprehensive knowledge? If you do realize that, you're rare among human beings because very few do. Because the common idea is that when God forbade the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve, he was in effect forbidding them to access knowledge per se. Now I've explained in detail in other sermons that this phrase translated the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be better understood the tree of the designation of good and evil because the real meaning is not that God was forbidding knowledge, as many believe, but that he was forbidding Adam and Eve to usurp his role as lawgiver. But the idea that many have is that God sought to keep mankind in a state of what is sometimes called blissful ignorance. And this is a common idea. You can read this in commentaries and theological writings and so forth. Cyrus Gordon, who is a respected historian, actually a historian that I have a great deal of respect for generally, but he, he wrote in one of his books of the condition of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden as one of indolence, that is, of laziness, although that is not in any way, shape, or form justified by the context. And nevertheless, that was his conclusion. And he writes disparagingly that this quote can hardly be called a picture of scientific excellence. This can hardly be called a picture of scientific excellence, end quote. And yet, interestingly, Cyrus Gordon is one of the few historians to acknowledge that in very ancient times, at the very dawn of civilization, science, in his own words, quote, stood at a level from which historic man has fallen. End quote. Scientific knowledge, according to Gordon, stood at a level from which historic man has fallen. In other words, we've actually degenerated and lost ground in our scientific knowledge over the millennia. And he further acknowledges that this ancient age of advanced knowledge is accurately reflected in the Bible. 
It is accurately reflected in the Bible, and it is. But what he and most others don't understand is that when God commanded Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life, that he was offering to them access to his own store of knowledge, which encompasses all material and spiritual truth. That's one of the things that God was offering to Adam and Eve when he commanded them to eat of the tree of life. The Bible tells us that God is the source of all true wisdom and that as we read in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. Not the beginning of ignorance, but the beginning of knowledge. Yet one of the very first lies in history is the lie that God wanted to keep man from knowledge. And it's a lie that many still believe to this day. In fact, probably most people who have any opinion at all all, on what happened in the Garden of Eden believe that God wanted to keep Adam and Eve from knowledge. Wanted Wanted them to remain ignorant. Satan told Eve in effect that the tree that God had withheld from them would open to them knowledge and power otherwise not available. He said, quote, In the day you eat thereof, this is in Genesis 3 and verse 5, Satan said to Adam and Eve, In the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing, or as we could translate it, designating good and evil. That's what Satan told them. And yet the effect of believing and obeying Satan rather than God was not enlightenment or greater knowledge nor greater power but rather blindness and ignorance. Adam and Eve were cut off from the source of true knowledge which was what Satan intended because he, Satan, not God but Satan is the enemy of knowledge. In referring to the consequences of this Satan-inspired rebellion, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, that it resulted in the suppression of truth. And that they, beginning with Adam and Eve and on through succeeding generations, became vain in their minds, or as it could be translated, foolish or empty, empty empty-headed, and their foolish heart was darkened, as we read in Romans 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Men who suppress the truth. In other words, who do everything possible to keep knowledge, true knowledge, from being revealed. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He goes on to say in verse 21 of Romans 1. Romans 1 verse 21, because although they knew God as Adam and Eve knew God, they, in fact, were with God in the Garden of Eden until they were kicked out. But they knew God... And yet they did not glorify Him as God, 
nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So they didn't acquire a greater access to knowledge by their rebellion. In fact, their hearts were blinded to true knowledge, to the truth. Paul goes on to write in verse 28 of Romans 1, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice they did not want to retain God in their knowledge. They rejected the knowledge of God. They didn't want to know God. They didn't want to know the things that God knows. They rejected God. And so God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. They lost their ability to, to discern, to tell truth from falsehood. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. From that beginning and successful effort to breed ignorance in mankind, Satan has relentlessly sought to destroy knowledge and to prevent mankind from acquiring knowledge. Mankind under Satan's influence did not like to retain God in his knowledge as we just read, and his mind became void of judgment. And mankind lost the knowledge of the true God, which is the greatest reality of all. There's no reality greater than God. God existed before anything else existed. He is the creator of everything that is created. And so they lost the knowledge of the greatest reality that exists. And they lost knowledge of many other things as well. Satan is the great deceiver. He is the author of lies, of spiritual blindness and ignorance. Jesus said to his detractors, his enemies in John 8, beginning with verse 44, John 8, verse 44, he said, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is a liar. And, of course, a lie, by definition, is something that is deceptive and the opposite of, of the truth, the opposite of genuine knowledge. And the world is full of Satan's lies. In 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, Paul wrote, Even if our gospel is veiled, 
That is, if, if, if it is hidden, unknown, if the message of the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age has blinded the minds of virtually all of mankind. He has blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The gospel is intended to enlighten people, to teach them the truth, true knowledge. Knowledge that has been hidden from mankind because of Satan's deceptions. In Revelation 12, verse 9, Revelation 12, verse 9, we read the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Satan has deceived the whole world. The great religions and much of what is taught in our universities, much of, uh, of what is taught in various cultures from one generation to the next is a pack of lies. It's deception. Falsehoods that are passed on from one generation to the next. It can be established through the study of history that generally speaking, what knowledge or enlightenment there was among mankind has been due primarily to the influence of God's servants or the intervention of God. On the other hand, there is in history a consistent pattern of suppression or destruction of knowledge, especially spiritual knowledge, among Gentile cultures, religions, and governments. And most of mankind has lived throughout the history of the world in abject ignorance of the truth about many things in terms of not only science and technology, but certainly in terms of God and the truth about God and His purpose and plan for mankind. Enoch, we're told, was a worshiper of God. He was a man who lived before the flood. We're told in Genesis 5 verse 22, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. According to the book of Jubilees, which is a, it's not a part of the Bible, but it's an apocryphal uh, book that has been preserved among the Jews, how much of it is accurate we can't really say, but at least here's what the book of Jubilees has to say about Enoch. It says, Enoch was the first one from among the children of men that are born on the earth to learn writing and knowledge and wisdom. And he wrote the signs of heaven according to the order of their months in a book. That the sons of men might know the time of year according to their separate months. He was the first to write a testimony and he testified to the children of men concerning the generations of the earth and explained the weeks of the jubilees and made known to them the days of the years 
and arranged the months and explained the Sabbaths of the years as were made known to him. And what was and what will be, he saw in a vision of the night in a dream, and as it will happen to the children of men and their generations until the day of judgment. He saw and learned everything and wrote it as a testimony and laid the testimony on the earth over all the children of men for their generation. So what this is telling us is that Enoch revealed a calendar that was evidently revealed to him by God that kept track of the months and the years. And he also wrote history and he wrote prophecy. And all of this was uh, done before the flood. Now, it's believed by some authors, such as George Riffert, who wrote a book entitled Great Pyramid Proof of God, that Enoch built the Great Pyramid before the Noatian flood. Now, I don't know that we can say for certain who, who built the pyramid, but this is an idea that some people have uh, postulated. What we do know is that a detailed study of the Great Pyramid has revealed that it is a repository of ancient advanced knowledge. That in its features, and this has been carefully studied and documented by a number of different uh, people who have expertise in these matters but in the features of the great pyramid are revealed an esoteric knowledge of this for example the size and shape of the earth its distance from the sun and other astronomical and geographical knowledge of an advanced and sophisticated nature this is discussed in a number of different sources, one of them being a book called The Secrets of the Great Pyramid by Peter Tompkins and Livio Stacchini. Peter Tompkins writes on a, on a uh, website, quote, as with most of the great temples of antiquity, Whoever built the Great Pyramid designed it on the basis of hermetic geometry known to a restricted circle of initiates. They had accurately measured the circumference of the planet in units of their own earth commensurate geographic foot, of which they placed precisely 3,000 in the perimeter of the base of the Great Pyramid, making it a scale model of the northern hemisphere as one by which they could orient themselves in space and time. Its precise location served as the prime meridian for their epoch. On it was based their accurate geography of the heavens and the planet. They knew the length of the year to several decimals. The specific density of the planet, the 26,000 year precession of the equinoxes, and the speed of light, end of quote. Now these are just some of the 
there's some this is just some of the information that is preserved in the features of the Great Pyramid. Many other details are revealed in the book that I mentioned, Secrets of the Great Pyramid by Tompkins and Stacchini, as well as various other books that have been written about the Great Pyramid. This gives you an idea of the kind of advanced knowledge that people had thousands of years ago. Much of this knowledge has not been known since that time until just very recently, within the past few years, in fact. Of Noah's sons, only Shem appears from what we know of history to have followed Noah in obedience to God. It's interesting that the Celtic word for writing, Agam, is derived from the name of the Celtic word for Shem. It appears that God's servant Shem was peculiarly associated with the art of writing and preserving knowledge. In light of this, it's interesting that the most ancient vocabularies known in history were found in the remains of a city called Ebla in the Middle East, a city associated with the Hebrews, a city which knew of the god Yah, which is a diminutive form of Yahweh, a city which spoke and wrote in an ancient form of Hebrew, a city which even had a king called Ebram or the Hebrew. On the other hand, it's been established that Cush and his son Nimrod established organized false religion after the flood. It's believed that the, by linguists that the word chaos is related to the name Cush, and it's probable that chaos is derived from Cush. Bel, the name of a chief Middle Eastern god, is also associated with confusion and with Cush and Nimrod. Josephus says that Abraham was a scientist and a mathematician and that he taught science to the Egyptians when he sojourned there. Now remember this would be after the flood and it says in the Antiquities of the Jews by Josephus, quote, he that is Abraham communicated to them, that is the Egyptians, arithmetic and delivered to them the science of astronomy. For before Abram came into Egypt, they were unacquainted with those parts of learning. For that science came from the Chaldeans into Egypt and from thence to the Greeks also. What this reveals is something that is mentioned by a number of other uh, commentators on ancient uh, history that uh, the kind of knowledge that his talking about scientific and technical knowledge traveled from the Middle East into Egypt and then the Greeks later learned what they knew about science and such matters from the Egyptians. Ancient Egyptian technology, engineering, and science during its heyday was much advanced over those of later ages. It actually tended to degrade over time 
the greatest scientist, or I should say the great scientist, one of the greatest, in fact, some think that he, that he in fact, was the, the greatest scientist who's ever lived or who is at least known, Isaac Newton, knew that the Greeks borrowed what science they had from Egypt. But the knowledge of science became de degraded and distorted in the hands of the Greeks. And there was actually a, 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 a precipitous decline in the knowledge of scientific matters, things such as geography and various other knowledge that was known to the ancients degraded over the centuries from the time of the let's say the, the Middle Kingdom of Egypt to the time of the when the Greeks were dominant and then degraded even further during the Roman era and the so-called Christian era when it became massively degraded. Historians say that in the words of of uh, a scientist who wrote uh, the book uh, Theories of the Universe, he says at first there was no enmity to science exhibited by the followers of the apostles. No enmity to science exhibited by the followers of the apostles. You don't find the you don't find the uh, uh, the Bible attacking knowledge as such. In fact, just the opposite. Those who think that God wanted to keep people ignorant have evidently actually not read the Bible. Because you can't read the Bible and logically conclude that God wants people to be ignorant. As we will see. But over time, the professing church, the so-called Christian church, professing Christ, but not actually following Christ's teachings, did not encourage learning. And most people in the so-called Christian world during the period of the dominance of the Catholic church were illiterate. Very few of them could read and write. They were generally forbidden to read the Bible. And even many priests could not read. During that period, most of the scientific knowledge of the ancient world was lost. And what little knowledge that was preserved, such as the Ptolemaic system of cosmology, was erroneous. The world plunged into what is aptly known in history as the Dark Ages because it was an age of abject ignorance. In the meantime, leaders in the true church, the church of God, most of which was hiding out in the wilderness and mountainous areas of, of Asia and Europe, their leaders sought to make the Bible available in vernacular languages or common languages. And they were severely persecuted for attempting to teach the Bible and make it available to the general populace. And the Catholic Church relentlessly hunted these people down and murdered them by the, by the thousands and the millions. 
It's ironic that the professing church is often credited with preserving knowledge when it was actually to a large extent an instrument of its destruction. The professing church fought science where, wherever it saw it as a threat. For example, opposing the Copernican heliocentric theory, the idea that the earth revolves around the sun, and persecuting Galileo for proposing that in fact the earth does revolve around the sun in, in agreement with uh, Copernicus. Yet it was God's purpose to reveal progressively greater scientific knowledge during the period of the scientific revolution in the 16th century and following, which set the stage for the emergence of powerful, technologically advanced nations like Great Britain and the United States in the 19th century. For our part, Christians ought to value learning and seek to gain knowledge and use it in a godly fashion. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, God is called, quote, the God of knowledge. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 3, God is referred to as the God of knowledge. When Moses organized the lower echelons of government in Israel in the wilderness, as we read in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 15, he is recounting what he did. He says in Deuteronomy 1 verse 15, So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Notice what... Moses said he did. He, he didn't say, I took the dummies, the, the ignoramuses, and the sycophants, and made them leaders over the people. He said, I chose wise and knowledgeable men to be leaders over the people. When the new king to succeed David was beginning his reign, God asked him to uh, make a request. God asked Solomon to make a request and Solomon asked God to give him knowledge. God told Solomon, oh, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, give me wisdom and knowledge. Notice, notice God's, uh, Solomon's answer when God said to him, ask me what I shall give you. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge. Now, did this make God angry? Did he say, no, I want to keep people ignorant. And you're, you're asking uh, the exact opposite of what I want uh, in human beings. I want people who are ignorant. No, that's not what God said. God was pleased with Solomon's request. And God said to Solomon... As we read in Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 11, he said, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. 
Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. And Solomon was known as the wisest man on the face of the earth. The wisest of the kings of Israel before or since. But we see in this episode that Solomon recognized who the author of knowledge is, who, who it is that we need to go to to seek knowledge. He recognized that God is the author and the source of true knowledge. And we need to remember that lesson. In fact, we need to go, be going to God ourselves and asking God to give us knowledge. To give us wisdom. To give us understanding. We need to pray for that on a regular basis. And we need to seek wisdom and understanding as Solomon did. Solomon didn't just ask God for wisdom and knowledge and then do nothing. Solomon made a great effort to learn, to grow in knowledge, and to develop wisdom and understanding. In his address to Job, Elihu spoke of God in Job 37 and verse 16. Elihu said of God, he said, Him who is perfect in knowledge. God is perfect in knowledge. No human being is perfect in knowledge in the way that God is. But God has the knowledge of everything there is to know. When Daniel and his companions were taken as captives to Babylon, they were favored because God had given them unusual knowledge. In Daniel 1 verse 17, Daniel 1 verse 17 it says, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. When Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, as we read in Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 20, Daniel 2 and verse 20, Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. God asks in Psalm 94, in Psalm 94 and verse 9, He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? You might ask, what kind of knowledge would it take to engineer the complexities of the eye and the ear? These are extremely complex, de uh, delicately engineered organs and an even more amazing and complex organism. And 
That's true whether we're speaking of uh, any kind of creature that has eyes and ears, whether it's human beings or some other creature. The psalmist in Psalm 119 said, Psalm 119 verse 66, Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Asking God to teach him knowledge. In Proverbs 2 and verse 6, Proverbs 2 and verse 6, it says, The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now again, how can you read these scriptures and think that God wants to keep people ignorant? That, that is not a doctrine that comes from the Bible. That is a lie. It's an absolute lie. We should value knowledge and we should seek to acquire it. One of the keys to acquiring and holding on to true knowledge is to fear God. As we read in Proverbs 1 and verse 4. Proverbs 1 beginning with verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. Now it says a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 8 and verse 7, Proverbs 8 beginning with verse 7, For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom, and I am understanding, I have strength. This is uh, wisdom personified speaking. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Notice it says, those who seek me, that is wisdom, diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 Proverbs 9 verse 10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The right kind of knowledge can help you live a longer and a happier life. And be more successful in life. In Proverbs 1, we read, Scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Proverbs 10 and verse 14, wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. 
Proverbs 11 and verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. If, if we're going to develop knowledge, we have to want desire and be willing to receive instruction to be taught we'll discuss this a little bit more as we go along here Proverbs 13 verse 16 every prudent man acts with knowledge but a fool lays open his folly Proverbs 24 verse 3 Proverbs 24 verse 3 through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. We're also told that a lack of sound knowledge can lead to destruction. In Isaiah 5 verse 13, Isaiah 5 verse 13, it says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude is dried up with thirst. Jeremiah 4 and verse 22. Jeremiah 4 and verse 22. My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. They don't know how to do good. Jeremiah 10 and verse 14. Jeremiah 10 and verse 14. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. This speaking to the people of Israel and Judah. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile a work of errors in the time of their punishment they shall perish. So as we've indicated, God wants us to have knowledge, to be growing in knowledge, to be learning, developing our store and fund of knowledge. We read in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Second Peter 3 and verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 and verse 3, Colossians 1 and verse 3, for this reason, Paul wrote, We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Notice what Paul was praying for for the Colossians and others as he expressed similar thoughts elsewhere. But he prayed that, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, what this tells us is that we need to not ever be satisfied with the status quo in terms of our knowledge. You know, many people reach a plateau where they've learned certain things. And they think that they've learned everything that's important to learn. And I'm afraid that not infrequently occurs in the church with members of the church. They've learned certain things, certain uh, doctrines that they've been taught, either through studying the Bible or reading literature or whatever. And they grow satisfied with what they've learned. And they have no feel no need or desire to learn anything else beyond what they already know. But that is not what the Bible wants us to do. God doesn't want us to be satisfied with the status quo. He doesn't want us to reach a point where we think we know everything that we need to know. And to grow in knowledge, one has to admit that he does not know everything. And you may even have to entertain the thought that some of the things that you thought you knew or, or think that you know may in fact be wrong. You have to be willing to change your ideas if you find out that something you have learned was in fact an error. It was not true. We have to be willing to receive instruction. Weighing the information we receive and accepting what proves to be sound while rejecting falsehoods. None of us should just believe whatever we're told because someone has a title or an office or is supposed to be an authority on something. You know, many have made that a grievous error and perhaps even some have lost their salvation because they were willing to just believe someone who was in a, an authority figure who had an officer title but who was willing to lie and pervert the truth and to subvert those who had at least some knowledge of the truth and people were willing to believe the lies. You should never just accept the things without considering the truth of what you're being told. As I said, weighing the information, studying it carefully and, and then making an effort to discern with God's help the truth from what is false and then reject what is false and accept what is true. That takes a lot of work. It will take time. And that's, however, what God wants us to do. We read in Proverbs 14, verse 5. Proverbs 14, verse 5, A faithful witness does not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. One of the things you have to do if you're being taught or given instruction is figure out is this 
information I'm being given a lie or the truth. Because there are plenty of people who are willing to lie. In verse 6 it goes on to say, this is Proverbs 14, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. If you figure out that someone is consistently lying to you, then you need to separate yourself from him. Let's say you, you're you a member of a church, for example, and you realize that the leaders of the church that you are in are consistently lying about things. Well, if, if that continues, then the indication is from this Scripture that it's time for you to separate yourself from that influence. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. You're not bound to stay in any church or organization where you're being played for a fool and lied to on a consistent basis. Proverbs 15 verse 2 Proverbs 15, verse 2, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. In Proverbs 23, and verse 12, it says, Apply your heart to instruction. Apply your heart to instruction. Now, you, you can be instructed in various ways. This isn't just uh, talking about sitting in, uh, in a uh, lecture hall and listening to somebody talk. It has to do with being instructed in any number of ways by by your own observations, by studying books and literature, and as well as listening to lectures or sermons or whatever. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, he said, this is 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. He was being told to guard the truth that he had been given a knowledge of. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing that some have strayed concerning the faith. And we could say in our day many have strayed concerning the faith by what is falsely called knowledge. Because they were not doing what... Timothy was instructed to do. They were not guarding the truth. Now again, this isn't having a closed mind and being unwilling to change errors in your own thinking. But you, before you, before you abandon something that you have believed in the past, you'd better make sure that what you are accepting is actually the truth and not just a lie. You've got to be able to discern truth from error. 
Now in due time, Jesus Christ will, we're assured, return to the earth and he will bring with him knowledge, wisdom and understanding. In Isaiah 11 and verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Notice it says that this is speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and it says that His Spirit is characterized by wisdom and understanding. It is a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of life that God made available to Adam and Eve, the knowledge that they rejected, will be given in abundance to mankind when God's kingdom is established on the earth. In Isaiah 11 and verse 9, Isaiah 11 and verse 9 it says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. This speaking of the millennial period when Christ has established his kingdom on the earth. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Isaiah 32 and verse 4, Isaiah 32 and verse 4, it says, Also the heart of the rash, this is speaking again of the time after Christ's return, the heart of the rash will understand knowledge. And the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. In Isaiah 33 and verse 5, is another millennial or messianic prophecy. Isaiah 33 and verse 5, it says, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is His treasure. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 14, is another prophecy concerning the kingdom of God. Jeremiah 3 and verse 14. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. If we learn to value knowledge of the right kind now, if we seek to grow in knowledge as we seek to grow in the other attributes of godly character such as love toward God and other people, we can be among the shepherds God will use in His kingdom to feed to the world knowledge and understanding.